Jamie and I with you here in the Green Zone. Just wrapping up at the Scotty's Tournament of Hearts. It is handshakes after Skylar Ackerman missed her final shot in nine. It was, a, it was a tough shot to try to score two anyways, giving up a steal of one. So it'll be 11-6 the final for Skylar Ackerman. Started off hot 3-0, and has now lost three straight. Not officially eliminated, but needs to win out now against, well, she got British Columbia uh, coming up and Newfoundland Labrador. We'll have to win those uh, two games and then need some help at all to have a chance at making the final six. But at 22 years old, at her first Scotties, you can understand as the week goes on. It's as much a mental game as it is a physical game and trying to read the ice for your first ever Scotties Tournament of Hearts. So, And you're taking on Team Canada and Carrie Anderson at the Scotties. So an 11-6 loss, it goes down officially, and Carrie Anderson improves to 5-1, and one, but still top of the pool in Pool A is Alberta and the rink skipped by Selena Sturmey, still undefeated, 5-0 and right now. On the other side, the big game tonight in Pool B will be Manitoba, Jennifer Jones, and Ontario, Rachel Homan. They are both leading their pool at 4-0 and with the British Columbia right behind them uh, with Grandy as the skip there. So there's an update on the Scotties Tournament of Hearts. Going on in Calgary as we get set for the Briar next Friday, March the 1st, is the first draw. Saskatchewan will be on the ice, skipped by Mike McEwen out of Saskatoon with the Saskatchewan trio in front of him. We all know Mike's from Manitoba. We did get him to say, or we sorry, we, we did get Jennifer Jones to say go Saskatchewan because her husband is also part of Team Saskatchewan as the coach slash alternate for Team Saskatchewan there. Um, so Jennifer Jones is even supporting Saskatchewan in the Briar uh, coming up March 1st. And also March 1st, don't forget, don't for, you dare forget, the Rec Laws have a show at the Patch that night on Friday. Uh, we're live on Friday from uh, the Briar as well next week, and we will be a handful of times uh, throughout uh, the tournament in Saskatchewan. But the Great American Race, the Biggest race in NASCAR. I know it's not the end. They start with their Super Bowl. That's the Daytona 500. And yesterday, crashes galore. It ended in caution. And William Byron's the winner. His 11th win in NASCAR. He was the Rookie of the Year in 2018. Before that, he was the Rookie of the Year in the Xfinity. Before that, he was the Rookie of the Year in the truck. Before that, he was the Rookie of the Year in the other series as he worked his way up. And he's making me question everything I believe to be true about drivers in NASCAR. On the athlete. Are they athletes? Or are they just driving very, very fast vehicles? And the reason William Byron is making me question, because I was always like, oh, so got to be the best athletes out there. The pit crew as well. Amazing athletes coming. There's former college football players, NFL players uh, in the pit crews now in NASCAR. But the story of William Byron is unique now, but I believe won't be for long. Because William Byron, he didn't grow up in go-karts at the age of seven, working in the garage with his dad on 
their go-kart and making it go faster and working his way up, getting into a bigger vehicle next. No. The story of William Byron, which baffles me, is how quick his rise has come. He started playing video games. That's how he developed into the, one of the best drivers on the planet. It wasn't on the track, in person, live, racing go-karts and everything else. No, he was in his basement in a simulator. For years, he started about seven years old playing video games. He went to a NASCAR race and went, oh, this is cool. Started playing video games. Then he got into what is known now as iRacing. And he was dominant in iRacing, over 100 victories as a teenager. And then at the age of 15, he and his dad went, is there a way to get you in a car for real? Because he is loving it. And they did. And right away, he won as a 15-year-old. In his first race, he finished second. William Byron won the Daytona 500 at the age of 26. His, he started playing video games. And it really has me going, so are they athletes in the car? Because no other sport you can do this. There is nothing else on the planet. Golf? I was really good at Tiger Woods. Let me tell you what. Tiger Woods Masters Edition? I played that day and night. I was going, I was shooting 59s. It's not, doesn't mean I can go out on the golf course and shoot a 59. Oh, I was really good at NBA Jam. Doesn't mean I can go shoot a basketball. Oh man, NHL, was it 2002? Some 41 on that playlist? Are you kidding me? I could win championships. Hit the ice? I'm Bambi. Like, seriously. And I know there's a lot of stock car fans out there who are probably screaming at me right now saying, no, 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 no. William Byron developed into the athlete you need to be. This kid will finish second in the first time he was on a track training behind screens and simulators. That blows my mind on what William Byron is now able to do. He finished third last year in the Cup Series, one of the favorites to win it all, of course, this year, and he's won the Daytona 500. And it all started with video games. It all started behind a simulator. And I'll tell you what, this is, this is going to be the trend. You know this is going to be the trend. This is what kids do nowadays. They sit behind screens, and now they've found a sport, thanks to William Byron, who is, oh, I can do that. And it makes sense. It does. Because of the hand-eye coordination you need as a driver and the comfort to be bumper to bumper. And if you don't have that fear factor because you have seen how it's played out over repetition, 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 repetition while you're sitting in a chair at home and you now just transfer that chair in real life. Yeah, the torque and all that other stuff and the velocity would take a little adjusting to, but William Byron, who grew up playing video games, and I'm doing it a disservice if you watch this setup that he's actually had as a simulator, like, it got to the point, it started out as with a wheel and a computer. 
Then he got more screens. And you look at iRacing now, it is full peripheral vision around you, screens, and the chair moves and everything else to simulate what it would be like driving a NASCAR. And he won the Great American Race, the Daytona 500. And he'll win again. As I said, that was his 11th win already in NASCAR and a lot more to come. And I'm sure a lot more like him behind that will say, how'd you get your start in racing? Video games. Note, I didn't say the word because if Wheels is listening, I know what he's thinking. It's not a sport. Is video games. This is 980 CJME and 650 CKOM. Jamie with the air in the green zone. Of course, the uh, Saskatchewan Rush getting ready for uh, this weekend's action against the Halifax uh, Thunderbirds, Sastel Center on a Saturday night. And to look for some news tomorrow when it comes to another National Lacrosse League team. As TSN Radio in Ottawa is reporting, there will be a team on the move. The New York Riptide they are saying, is going to move to Ottawa for next season. Now, this is because they're not getting the attendance they'd want at Nassau County Coliseum. Uh, So the New York Riptide, it's believed to be a five-year deal with the Ottawa Senators. Uh, So another movement in the NLL. That is a report from TSN Radio in Ottawa uh, that the nation's capital are about to get an NLL team from New York. Uh, but the rush, of course, they made that coaching change. And so far, 2-0. and That 10-9 win over Panther City we saw a few weeks ago at Sastel Center. And a win over Vancouver, trying to get to a 500 again, rising the ranks. They have Halifax uh, coming up next on Saturday. Robert Church will join us later this week on the Green Zone. Of course, uh, we've been following Skylar Ackerman progress at the Scotties Tournament of Hearts. It was a great start to her Scotties. Went over PEI, then beat Caitlin Laws, a KG veteran of the Scotties, and then beat another KG vet, Krista McCarville, adding Andrea Kelly to the mix, formerly Andrea Crawford in New Brunswick. As uh, we were talking to Russ Howard last week, I picked them as you know one of those teams to look out for. And Skylar Ackerman beats Northern Ontario. To go to 3-0, and since then, it's been a struggle. But for Skylar Ackerman, lost two games yesterday and just off the ice against Canada and Kerry Anderson uh, with a 11-6 loss, falling to 3-3. Three and three. They're not completely out of it. They do need to win their final two round-robin games. Both of those go tomorrow, and then they'll need some help. So that's the story of Skylar Ackerman at the uh, Scotties uh, Tournament of Hearts in Calgary. The other big story out of the Scotties, and we're still wondering what the heck's going on with Carrie Anderson and her lead, Brianne Harris. Of course, they won four straight and right before the tournament, hours before the tournament. Curling fans were told uh, they were informed. Curling Canada was, they were informed 
uh, Brianne Harris is ineligible to compete. The team won't talk. Curling Canada, they're not saying anything. Now we await. But uh, Ted Wyman has two great pieces on the Winnipeg Sun. Of course, Kerry Anderson's from Manitoba, so he's got things covered. About this situation, and he goes through the process on, and there's some speculation in there, on what is the process on what could be. If it was a privacy issue, of course, they'd probably disclose something like that. But the other scuttlebutt around it is, does it involve the Canadian Centre for Ethics and Sport who do the drug testing for the Scotties and the Briar? And that is a 20-day process with an appeal that they won't disclose anything until that process is wrapped up. So that is one of the things being speculated that it could be when it comes to Brianne Harris. The timing would be interesting with 20 days for an appeal. Then they disclose publicly what is going on. You can go to their website and find all the penalties of all the athletes uh, around there. So I, I hope it's not that. I hope it's definitely nothing personal and private. But I also hope that it's not another Silk and Loman incident where it's like you'll use the wrong decongestant because you had the sniffles. We have seen that happen in sports, and they actually usually get lists of here are all the medicines you can have. Go to the counter, think you got the right one, you don't, and all of a sudden it pops up. But we'll keep you up to date on what the story might be uh, coming from the Scotties Tournament of Hearts with the team that's now 5-1 and one after a win over Saskatchewan, Kerry Anderson. Well, a good Tuesday afternoon, Saskatchewan. Jamie and I with you here on the Green Zone. Hope you enjoyed your long weekend. Maybe it's an extended long weekend with the kids off school. Thanks for joining us wherever we find you on what is, looks like another mild week weather-wise in Saskatchewan. And the possibility of a few more records being broken later in the week. Saw it was going to be a high of five in Regina on Thursday. The high that day, record high is six degrees. So that's something to keep an eye on anyways. Average about this time of year is like minus seven. So a mild week in Saskatchewan with the kids off school. Also, uh, keeping an eye on CFL free agency, one of the uh, biggest fish still in the pond was Tim White re-signing with the Hamilton Tiger Cats. We'll dig into that with Justin Dunk, our CFL analyst. But first, Justin, I, I need to know, with Simone Lawrence's retirement, graduation, whatever you want to call it, I'm pondering. With his history, with his stats, is Simone Lawrence, one of the most hated people in Saskatchewan, is Simone Lawrence a Canadian Football Hall of Famer? Goodness. Top 10 in tackles, three-time All-Star, one-time nominee for most outstanding player out of the East. You know, I feel like just with the tackles, it's probably good enough in his longevity. I know he doesn't have a great cup, but there will be some people that will say in the pro-Simone camp that he should have been an MODP at the league level at least once, perhaps multiple times, but he has that reputation of being a guy that plays on the line or sometimes goes over it. I think, though, when you add up the resume, that he, at the bottom line, has a strong argument to get it. With the the suspensions, with the 
he's a dirty player. Like some people believe. No, come on, Justin. He's a dirty player. He's gone head hunting. He's purposely twisted the ankle of Terry Williams. He's done some cheap garbage, got fined and suspended for it. How big of a blemish should that have on a player's entire legacy in the Canadian Football League? I think it plays into it. Definitely. Right. When you talk to players around the league who are in the league for the majority, if not all of Simone Lawrence's career, they they'll tell you that he was dirty. I just don't want to editorialize too much, but I think that that weighs into it. But when you look at the resume, the longevity in one city, which is rare, you know, I don't necessarily think that factors in for everybody, but in this day and age, it should, then he at least has a really good argument. But I think you'd have to put him up there with who's he against in terms of linebackers that perhaps haven't gotten in yet. Well, eventually you get to Adam Big Hill, right? I'd put Adam above him. Um, we've already seen Solomon Elamimi, and I'd put him above. Well, they, they were winning most outstanding players and most outstanding defensive players. Um, yeah, I, I I assume he will go in, but it's interesting on how much the hits he has made and some of the plays he's made in his career might impact the voters. Of course, we get yeah. to talk to one of those voters here on the Green Zone on a weekly basis, so... I don't know how much Daryl Davis can weigh in on that in the secret society that is the Canadian Football Hall of Fame, but uh, we'll throw it at him anyways. Uh, Justin Dunk, our CFL analyst here on the Green Zone. Um, the biggest fish left, I do believe, in CFL free agency, Tim White re-signing with the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Did the Riders ever have a shot at Tim White? Were they on the horn trying to get this guy in? Because American receiver is a spot I still see the Riders could fill. From what I was told, I don't think that was ever real. I think perhaps that was Tim White in his camp putting that out there to try to create some leverage for the Hamilton Tiger Cats to pay him more. And you look at what Jeremy O'Day had done in the past in terms of taking shots on bigger name, let's say, American free agent receivers, and it doesn't necessarily work out too well, right? In the recent past, Jake Wieneke didn't work out, I think, the way a lot of people felt like it would. And you look at the Riders' receiving core, and I don't – feel like they need to be necessarily spending there. I think where they've spent their money was better investments, right? You have a solid receiving core, I think, at the base with a lot of upside. If Keen Schaefer Baker can return to his 2022 form, then I don't think you need a guy like Tim White, and there probably wouldn't even be enough targets to go around for him there. Well, it's, it's interesting. On Since we talked to you on Tuesday, the one big signing the Rough Riders have made, again on the offensive line to add to Jamarcus Hardrick, is Ryan Sevier. And I th- that is one of those players under the radar, has been a divisional all-star, has been one of those candidates and top offensive linemen in Calgary to join with Mark Mueller. All of a sudden, you bump Logan Ferland out of a starting spot, and he's a young up-and-coming offensive lineman in this league that the riders have really and the uh, signing today hubbard the left tackle out of formerly tampa bay buccaneers clearly jeremy o'day has done more work this offseason and the last two offseasons with godbrew and blake to rebuild this offensive line again that's the real key to me i think you know you want to talk about tim white in relation to the offensive line would you rather have a jermarcus hardrick at right tackle when you've had issues at tackle for umpteen many years or would you rather have Tim White in the receiving court I think you'd rather have Hardrick at right tackle and as you said bring in a Ryan Sevier for improved depth from a Canadian standpoint and a guy who can push if not overtake Logan Furland 
on the interior there and then try to find an American at left tackle, then adding Tim White in the receiving core and going young, which they've done for multiple years in a row now, trying to find a tackle. So when you kind of fit the salary cap pieces together, you can kind of see what the riders are doing in terms of where they're going to spend their dollars and cents. I think this Sevier signing is one that shouldn't go under the radar. The guy, as you said, has played at an all-star level. And the Riders haven't had this kind of depth, especially among Canadians on the offensive line, you know, I think in a little while at the least, and maybe quite a long time. Well, it I dare relate it to 2012-2013 off-seasons, but I will compare it. I'm not saying that they're going to win the Grey Cup this year by any estimation, so don't twist it. Justin Dunk, I don't run a read three down nation. Green Zone's Jamie and I saying the Riders are going to win the Grey Cup. Uh, but in 2012, they went out and got Brendan Labatt and Dominic Picard. And then they started complimenting those pieces. Chris Best was the young up-and-coming offensive lineman, or more than young and upcoming. He was on the 0-9-10 team. You drafted Ben Heenan. You go out and trade for Xavier Fulton, who was a relative unknown, and boom, uh, there is... You're starting five in a Grey Cup game, four starting Canadians, of course, in a dominant victory over the Hamilton Tiger Cats. It didn't take one year like that. It took two years for that offensive line to build. And I, I do see some similarities between how Jeremy O'Day has built this offensive line compared to Brendan Dan- Tamman and, of course, his assistant Jeremy O'Day in 2012-2013. Indeed, he's been through it. He's a former offensive lineman himself. He knows you have to have depth at the position. And He's done what he said he's going to do the last couple of off-seasons in investing and putting the money there. And I think the cherry on top, ideally, if you're Ryder Nation, is Jermarcus Hardrick leading the way and perhaps helping some of these young tackles that come into camp. That's something I think that could go under the radar. It's one thing when you're young and learning the game and you're getting these reps, but to have a veteran there who knows how to lock down some of the premier pass rushers in this league that could be invaluable to some of the young guys, like you mentioned, Jonathan Hubbard, that they signed today. Okay, uh, Justin Dunk, uh, some respect coming the Riders' way from Three Down Nation. Uh, you, you pulled the crew, 11 contributors. The Riders have jumped up to fifth from eighth in the power rankings just with CFL free agency. Is that too high a leap? Where did you have them, J.D.? Uh, I don't think it's too high. You know, I'd have to go back and check exactly where I put them in at, but I think I was thinking about that four to five range, right? Because you look at the CFL landscape and, you know, admittedly we didn't do a power ranking after Corey Mace was hired. So I think that factors into this as well, but but the moves that they're making with Trevor Harris, presumably healthy, I think that's what factored into my vote and a lot of my three down contributors votes as well. You look at this team in the West division, you think, you know, they at least got to be the third best team just based off of last year. Well, they've done an addition, changing the coaching staff with Corey Mace. And then for me, I look at the BC Lions and I think, okay, arguably the best player on their team is gone to the NFL. Their number one receiver is going to be out for the majority, if not the entire season in Keon Hatcher. And on defense, they just aren't quite the same with some of the pieces that have changed there, right? TJ Lee suffering a major injury. So I think, okay, is it a lot to ask of Corey Mason his first year to make the playoffs in the West Division? Potentially, yes. But when you start breaking it down, and, you know, I just don't think the Edmonton Elks, I could eat these words, Chris Jones might want to shove them down my throat, but aren't scaring anybody right now, especially on defense. They give up Jake Ceresna 
AC Leonard isn't that. I think that has more to do with the difference in valuation where he sees himself versus where the Elks see him. But who on that defense scares you from a pass rushing perspective? Yes, Jones likes guys, but you just don't have 10 sack guys that drop out of the air. And, you know, I know they added Michael Thompson, but I don't know how much of an upgrade he is to help that team get out of the basement. And then I look at Calgary, and I like some of the pieces on defense that they've added. I think they're really good there. Those guys got to stay healthy. That was a major issue there. And in the receiving core, outside of Reggie Begleton, who really scares you. And Jake Marisol has a lot to prove. So that's why I think the Riders kind of fit in that mix where around where we have them in that fifth overall range right now. But they got to go out and prove it on the field. There you go. A Justin Dunk guaranteeing playoffs this year for the Saskatchewan Rockets. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what I heard. Uh, Justin, always appreciate your time. Uh, have a great rest of your week. Thanks, buddy. You too, Doc. That is Justin Dunk from Three Down Nation, our CFL analyst here on the Green Zone. We'll see. Jamarcus Hardrick, uh, one of the big signings uh, coming up on the Green Zone uh, tomorrow afternoon. So be here to hear from the guy who's leaving the dynasty, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, to come to Saskatchewan as part of, I I think it's, is it fair to say rebuild? I I know teams don't really like rebuild. They like retooling. But this is a new coaching staff and a lot of new players uh, coming in to be the core to turn things around in Saskatchewan. But directly ahead, it is Champs and Chumps next on 980 CJME and 650 CKOM. You two are winners, big winners. I think you're shagadelic, baby. You're switched on, you're smashing. You tried your best. And you failed miserably. The only thing I'm addicted to right now is winning. You're an idiot. Ah, you're a bad person. Each and every day, one champ, one chump. Both come from the National Football League today. The chump, NFL Films. Maybe the Kansas City Chiefs. We don't know. What we do know is Travis Kelsey was mic'd up during Super Bowl 58. And NFL Films is starting to release. They had like a 43-minute short on YouTube and a couple other videos from Super Bowl 58. Some of them with Travis Kelsey, who was mic'd up. Did they dare show the video of his exchange with Andy Reid that almost knocked Andy Reid over? The most famous clip from that Super Bowl with the audio that they have from Travis Kelsey? Nope. Word is, the NFL, the NFL films, and potentially the Kansas City Chiefs are intentionally blocking it, trying to bury it, trying to delete it from the world, so nobody will ever get to know what Travis Kelsey actually said to Andy Reid on the sideline. I want that audio. Maybe it was so vulgar that they just can't air it. Who knows? But you can bleep it out, can't you? But our champ. And I'm going to champ Matthew Slater. He is the epitome of a guy who plays his role quietly, selflessly, and after 16 NFL seasons, retired. Think about that. He played 16 years in the National Football League. Do you know who Matthew Slater is? You probably don't, because his role over the last 16 years has been a long part. He, he did some returning, but was the gunner for the New England Patriots. 
He showed up in the NFL with a 4-4-40, had an okay career as a return man with UCLA, but in the team of Bill Belichick, do your job, Matthew Slater did his job every day as good as he could to stay in the National Football League with no ego, no look at me. He was just a special teamer. Made a couple of Pro Bowls, too, as a special teamer. Only scored one touchdown in his NFL career. He returned a blocked punt for a touchdown in 2019 against the Buffalo Bills. But he's just one of those guys. He's a captain of that team. He's a leader on that team. And sometimes you just have to know your role and play it as well as you can in life. And then you get to retire after 16 seasons. I also looked it up. He made $30 million in his 16 years as an NFL special teamer, just doing as well as he could for his team.